This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. And today I'm talking about crypto and SBF and FTX with an authority. He's written a book about it. His name is Z Fox. He's an investigative reporter for Bloomberg. His book has got an awesome title. It's called Number Go Up. You can buy it now and you should. Welcome, Zeke. Hey, thanks a lot, Peter. Thanks for joining us. You're one of several people who has been chronicling the the rise and fall of crypto in general, and specifically Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. And I want to talk to you, just a, a big a big opening question for you here. It seems to me you're telling two stories in the book. One is about Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. He's on the cover. He's pretty infamous at this point. We're going to talk about him in this conversation. But the other half of the book is about something called Tether, which won't ring a bell to most people who weren't deeply involved in, in crypto, but it's kind of the thread throughout the book. It's the reason you started writing about this stuff. So before we get to Sam Bankman-Fried, what is Tether and why is it important and why is it the thread that connects everything in your book? Roll this back to like 2020. It's the pandemic. We're all in lockdown. We're super bored. People are just like, there's this new thing. People are talking about crypto. My friends are telling me like, buy this random coin, buy that random coin. I'm like a skeptic. I'm actually not even really that interested in learning about it. But as like an investigative reporter whose specialty is chronicling like weird stuff happening in the world of finance, I keep getting told that I should... Crypto would be perfect for me. And finally, my editor at Business Week brings me an idea that I actually do like. He's like, what do you know about Tether? What do you know about stable coins? And Tether, it's not like the other coins. It's not supposed to go up and up. Each coin is supposed to be worth a dollar. And the idea is that like you give Tether a dollar and they give you this Tether coin and they keep that dollar in the bank somewhere. It's sort of like you can imagine going to the casino and trading your money for chips that you can gamble with. Tethers are like, all these crypto exchanges are basically like offshore casinos, and tethers are the chips that you can use at any of them. And when I started looking into it, there were like 50 billion tethers outstanding. So that meant that, in theory, Tether had 50 billion real dollars in the bank somewhere. But the company, right in the book, they seemed like they were quilted out of red flags, like their executives never gave interviews. You couldn't even tell where the company was based. They had been sued for lying about their reserves, and they just wouldn't give like an accounting of where this money was. So to me, that was like the kind of mystery that I like to investigate. I didn't want to write a story about like whether you should buy Dogecoin or Mm -hmm. how Bitcoin mining works. I was like, okay, I'm going to go travel the world and try and find this $50 billion. But sort of what is the thread that makes it worth? I mean, there's a million stupid coins out there. Most of them have gone to zero. Spoiler, at the end of the book, Tether is still still extant. It still exists. Lots of people believe it is a scam, but it is, is remained intact. What does the story of Tether tell 
you and us about the crypto moment that we had over the last three years. Yeah, with that spoiler, yeah, the title is not is a joke. The number does not go up. It goes down. But Tether, it turned out like the key of crypto, right? I've figured that a lot of the technical details don't really matter. Like the key is getting people to send you real money and then giving them random virtual tokens. And then you are rich with the real money, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And but there are a lot of obstacles to this. Banks think crypto is like sketchy. They don't know. Maybe it's illegal. Maybe the government's going to get mad later. So a lot of banks, especially in the early years, did not want to handle money for crypto exchanges. So Tether stepped in and it became a way that crypto companies could get real money and achieve their goal, which is like making real money. It was sort of like the central bank for crypto. So my thinking was that this was such a crucial part of the infrastructure of crypto. Everybody in the industry agreed. And it was like so obviously sketchy. Everyone agreed on that too, that it was amazing to me that nobody had really dove in to try and figure out what was up with this. And everybody in crypto was connected to it. Like you mentioned Sam Bankman-Fried. He was the biggest user of Tethers. He had, his company had bought something like 30 billion of them. So as I went down this Tether mystery, I started meeting all sorts of weird characters from like all around the world of crypto. So it proved to be a very fruitful way to investigate the crypto world. So your unsuccessful quest to prove that the Tether is a scam uh, leads you on this tour around the world and lets you understand how the rest of crypto works. Is that a fair way of explaining it? Definitely. And like, I never could have predicted where this was going to take me. Like, you know, by the end, as I'm in Cambodia, I'm looking into crypto scams that use Tether. Not that the Tether company necessarily has any connection to, but this coin is so powerful. It's letting these Chinese gangsters in Cambodia collect like billions of dollars from romance scams all around the world. And yeah, I found it actually to be more interesting than like the details of how crypto works or stuff like that. I found it more interesting to see like what's happening in the real world. Like what is crypto doing to regular people? How are people using it? That's what whenever I would meet crypto people, that's what I try and ask them about. And yeah, it took me to Cambodia, El Salvador, the Philippines. Truly, like, it was very surprising to me. Let me zoom out a little bit more. Um, you're an investigative reporter who covers financial scams. The most recent iteration of crypto, right? Uh, pandemic on through the collapse at the end of, of 2022. Was slash is crypto a scam in your eyes? Or is this just sort of a, a classic bubble? Um, and we've seen many bubbles over 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 history. So... My lawyers would be careful to say that scam implies that like there's some intent on the person running mm -hmm. it. And I met all sorts of people, many of whom I think had good intentions. Um, I would say that even when things were going great and all the numbers were going up, I talked to people like Sam Bankman Fried and I'd say, yeah, is crypto a big scam? And they would say, oh, you know what? Like probably most of the coins are. But like mine is great. Everyone and else is a scammer, not me. Pretty much. Like, and now I'm looking back through these conversations. 
not just Sam Bankman Freed, like many of the people who said that have been arrested, have gone bankrupt, like a truly impressive what a high percentage of the high profile people in crypto from a couple of years ago have totally blown up now. Yeah, I mean, look, whenever there's a lot of money at stake, of course, it's going to attract scammers. It seems like crypto was particularly amenable to that um, for a bunch of different reasons. But I think there are lots of honest, sincere people still working in crypto today who believe there's some use for it, that it has yet to, to prove itself. We can debate that. They would argue that they're they're not causing anyone harm. They're just trying to build this product. And so some of them now say, oh, we have to get rid of this casino mentality that infected crypto over the last couple of years. I mean, I think a lot of them were actually also running the casino too and are now turning around going, what? There was gambling here. But is there any way that you can, that you, Zeke Fox, can look back and go, you know, there's probably some well-intentioned stuff here. It's a technology. Maybe something good can come out of it. Come out of it. There was one part of the story that I found particularly instructive, which was trying to buy a bored ape. These were like these really elite NFTs that all the celebrities had. People were paying five hundred thousand dollars for them, a million dollars for them. Supposedly, and, right? We'll see when the truth comes out about that, yeah. but. People told me this. They're like, crypto's great. You don't know it. You're not using it. And I was like, you know, maybe you have a point. I'll give it a try. So they were having an ape fest, which was like a week-long ape festival. And in order to go, you had to get one. The cheapest ones at the time were mutant apes, which are like, I mean, these are literally like cartoon images of monkeys, it's right? Like it's a cartoon eggs. image of a monkey. And in fact, it's not even a cartoon image because you don't actually own that. You own like a point. It's a whole thing. But you were, in theory, buying these cartoon apes. Right. And they all look kind of the same. The mutants are extra ugly. They're kind of like they drank some sort of juice and now they melted or something. And at the time I was considering it, they cost 40 grand. That was a difficult conversation with my wife. By the time I actually bought it, it had crashed down to 20, which was kind of good, but also a bit scary. Uh, but hey, honey, so, I'm buying an, an asset that's no longer a, a stupid thing that's no longer worth as much as it was a few months ago. Yeah. Going through the process of actually buying it. So a surprising amount of people who like some are somewhat interested in crypto, I find have never tried it at all. They've only gone on Coinbase and bought this or that coin, which is you might as well be buying a stock. You're just gambling on something. That's not what the use of crypto is. And so to buy this ape, I had to use MetaMask, which yep. is like. Then this all sounds like you can hear a whole talk about this and it sounds awesome, but like it boils down to how would you like to keep your money in like a little fox head right next to the ad block icon in your web browser? And like if you click wrong, that 20 grand is gone and there's no customer service. And so, yeah, like yeah. I found this super unappealing. And I think that absent the casino mentality, literally no one would like it. Like the appeal is the casino. And if you take that away, it's not going to appeal to regular people. And there are a lot of smart people working on crypto. And maybe they will pivot somehow and come up with some sort of new product that has appeal. But at this point, it's been like a decade or longer. It's, it's as old as like Uber. It's what, as old as WhatsApp. And like, ask yourself, do you ever use crypto for anything? Standard crypto slash Web3 booster argument the last couple of years was, well, it's early innings. This is like the beginning of the web. And I spent a bunch of time trying to figure out, you know, maybe there's some technology here that's interesting, you know, Web3. And I kept thinking, wait, I remember what the early web was like. It was cool. Like you could send 
pornography or email or recipes or sports scores and you could get them at your computer and there was you know it was crude but you could immediately sort of see why there was utility immediately and how it would get better and with crypto like you're saying absent the number go up factor i i never found it i also tried to use meta you you went much farther with metamask than i did i i downloaded it got to the point where they said here's your 12 word seed phrase which we suggest you store in a, a lockbox or maybe bury or whatever and i'm like well, that's not ever gonna happen and that's where i stopped there there's no way i'm connecting my bank account to to that mechanism yeah no i definitely would not have done it if i was not writing a book about it it mm-hmm. was ludicrous uh and horrible to have the 20 grand there but i think i also learned like there's one thing that crypto is good at which is that it's a great story it boils down to like this is the future of money and like of course there's going to be a lot of money in that the future of money is like an awesome pitch and we've been primed with all these stories of people getting rich on crypto like the idea of getting rich on crypto is very plausible like i myself know people who've gotten rich on crypto i'm kind of jealous so when someone comes in with this pitch for this like transformative new coin, it sounds like more plausible than it might in some other industry. We have no way of evaluating it. And for a couple of years there, it was a really great way to get people to invest lots of money. And maybe some people thought, I'm a true believer, this is awesome. Maybe other people thought like, hey, we can let's raise the money, we'll figure it out. And maybe other people were like, I'm going to run away to Dubai with this money as soon as possible. Yeah, on on that thread, two more big picture questions. Um, the last bubble prior to this was was the financial bubble, the real estate in uh, which uh, bubble, which led to this collapse of almost the entire banking system. Um, and as crypto was collapsing in in 2021, 2022, I guess 2022 was the collapse. I kept wondering, are we going to see contagion if, if, you know, supposedly there was $2 trillion in market value, if that's going away, is that going to have knock-on effects like we saw with, with real estate? We didn't. So the first question is why? And the other question is, in other bubbles, I remember the dot, original dot-com bubble, lots of people invested money and then lost it, but people made lots of money in that bubble, right? That, that On a trade, someone is making money and someone's losing money. Do we know who made money in crypto and how much money they made and where it went? Because, you know, again, with the dot com boom, a lot of it you could track just through the SEC. You could see that so and so sold this stake in this company and got cash out of it. Does that exist in crypto? Yes. Like there are people who are early enough that they're still sitting pretty and they've made, you know, billions of dollars on crypto. Is that accounted for? Can we see it? In general, no. But. I mean, I'll give you an example. There's uh, Mike Novogratz. He, a former Wall Streeter, he gave an interview when he was pivoting to crypto around like 2017. And he said something to the effect of, this is the biggest bubble in my life, and I'm going to make a ton of money on the way up. Then he did. He famously invested in a lot of money in a cryptocurrency called Luna that was a Ponzi scheme. He went so far as to get a Luna tattoo and show it off on Twitter this coin was transparently a scam. Its business model made zero sense. He definitely lost a lot of money on that. But if you get in early enough on these things, like you can do really well. Sure. Um, and Andreessen Horowitz, their crypto fund was early on a lot of crypto apps that blew up, like Axie Infinity. And I think 
last I saw it reported maybe in the information, the returns of that fund are good. You know, even though you, I think you'd be hard pressed to find like really successful companies in their portfolio, they got in early enough and are still up or were able to sell coins on the way up. And, and why do you think the collapse of crypto seems to have been relatively contained to just the people who were speculating on coins? There's this narrative that institutional adoption is around the corner and people make it crypto. People are really good at promoting crypto. So if there's recently, for example, there was a headline that Visa was doing something with Solana. And like, I haven't looked into it, but I can almost assure you it's just some experiment. Probably nothing will come of it, but it gets talked about in crypto world so much that you might think that like Visa now runs on Solana. Solana Solana's mm-hmm. the name of a cryptocurrency, if, if the listeners haven't caught that. This institutional adoption really did not happen. Very few big companies really bet on crypto. And most of the Wall Street firms that did get involved, it was more on the level of like, hey, people want to gamble at this casino. You know, our junk bond division did great on like Las Vegas. How can we finance these new casinos? It wasn't like, we're going to stop trading stocks and now we're a crypto company. We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we're back. Let me talk to you about SBF and and FTX again. You got SBF on the cover of your book, even though it's about half of the book is about about him. What is the simplest plain English way to explain what Sam Bankman-Fried did and why that was illegal? So people sent money to FTX, which was like his crypto casino offshore. People sent billions of dollars to FTX. And the idea was they were going to use FTX like Coinbase to buy various yes. crypto stuff. Right. That's what Tom Brady was pushing in the Super Bowl ad or Larry David in the Super Bowl ad. And he was like, come to my casino, gamble on the coins. And like when you give money to a casino, you get your chips and you assume we want to leave. You take those chips to the cashier. The money will be there. There's really no justification for the money to be gone. And when people went to take their money out of the FTX casino, it wasn't there. There was $8 billion missing. And it's now come out that what happened was Sam also ran a hedge fund that took this money that had been trusted to his casino and took that money to other casinos and bet it on like crazy coins and stuff and gave it to politicians and bought tons of real estate in the Bahamas. This is totally illegal. 
You cannot take your customer's money and go gamble it elsewhere. Uh, and that's why he's you know, in jail now awaiting trial, though he's pleaded not guilty, I should say. His defense, which he repeated for months to anyone with a microphone or a notepad, or in the case of my colleagues at, at Vox, a, a Twitter account uh, via DM, was that he wasn't a crook. He was just sloppy. He got in over his head. The numbers were confusing. And he didn't just really, he, he wasn't committing fraud. He, he just was, sort of, he was, he just fucked up. I think that was going to be his line in his, his testimony to, to Congress. Yes. Is there any possibility that argument is true? When this was all breaking before he got arrested, I flew down to the Bahamas and went to sit with him at his $30 million penthouse. It wasn't my first time in the Bahamas to interview him, but this penthouse didn't really fit with his image, so it had not been part of previous tours. Uh, and we spent hours going over this question. His image was, I'm a, I'm a schlubby guy with funny hair, and I don't care about material things. And your point is the penthouse was a really nice penthouse. Yeah, I mean, honestly, $30 million doesn't go as far as you would think in the Bahamas. But yes, like he was painting this picture that he didn't care about money. And he's smart enough to know that it was no good for people to see that he's flying on private jets or living in like the nicest resort in the Bahamas. So we talked a lot about his excuses. Like it was like a all it, conversation went until midnight. And I told him there that I did not find them very plausible. Essentially, he's very smart. He went to MIT. He is a, was a trader on Wall Street. And he's done, if you believe what he says, this is what made him so fascinating to me. He said that when he was a teenager, he was converted to this philosophy of like effective altruism, earning to give. He was like, I'm going to dedicate my life to doing good for the world. And the best way to do it is just to get rich and give the money away. The more money I make, the more good I'm doing for the world, which is sometimes what you hear rich people say after the fact. Um, but he's saying, I'm, I'm explicitly going to try to get rich so I can give all, all the money away and improve the world. Exactly. And it, it, like when I met him, it had been about a decade since he was, you know, just some college student. Now he's one of the richest guys in the world. But an important part of that plan is keeping track of how rich you are. Like the idea that he would not care if he had $5 billion or $10 billion makes no sense. He's dedicated his whole life to getting rich. Like, even if he's not day-to-day -day managing everything in his operation, it was just implausible to me that he would not keep track of his money at all. Do you, do you think that he was actively trying to defraud people? Or, and this is another one of his arguments, is I, I just made, I, I got in over my head, I made bets that I thought would work out that were, you know, had a high, high chance of success and, and would work out and they didn't. And that was my problem is that I, you know, if, if the bets that I'd made had worked out, none of this would happen. So that's really what I wanted to talk with him about because he is like, thinks of everything in this gambling sense. Like he, he calls it expected value. Like that's how he's evaluating all his decisions. Are they, what's the payoff and the likelihood of the payoff versus the penalty and like the likelihood of it not working? And I was trying to say to him, if you look back, because obviously he's not going to admit to me like I just ran a giant fraud. But I'm like, if you look back at your decisions, were they bets that made sense at the time that just didn't work out, like you got unlucky? Or did you do something that was now in hindsight a mistake? Because he just because it didn't work out doesn't mean it was a mistake, right? Like It could have been a good bet. And this is just me. I was told that so all of crypto blew up in the summer of 2022, more or less. And 
what happened at that point was that Sam's hedge fund owed lots of money to other hedge funds. And the other hedge funds wanted the money back. They were unable to raise it quickly. And what this meant was that if if they had, they could have, they had no way of getting this money. So like they were going to fail. And if they had come clean, they would have essentially declared defeat. Like the hedge fund would have failed. And I don't think it's crazy to think that his casino FTX would have also failed because of the loss of confidence in him. So what I was told by sources was that the top executives of FTX, including Sam and like his few lieutenants, had a meeting around that time and were like, what should we do? And the decision was made. Let's just use the money people left at the casino. No one will ever know. We'll make it back. And like, we can keep this rolling. And I have to imagine that the reason for that decision was like, and if we keep this rolling, one day we'll be like trillionaires and we can fund the development of like ethical AI and we can stop climate change. Or at least we won't be going to jail because no one will ever know that we did this and we can just paper it up after the fact. Right. We won't go to jail. But if they had just declared defeat, they hadn't done, perhaps they hadn't done anything wrong yet. And they could have just said, hey, we lost, we went broke and we're not going to jail. And instead, what I think is that they decided to take this risk, like an illegal risk, a very bad thing to do, borrowing the customer's money and going to gamble it elsewhere. And that also fits in with another part of Sam's philosophy, which he would talk about is the utilitarian. He would say, I believe that like my own happiness is no more valuable than someone else's. And when I'm weighing the imp- what to do with my life or how to make a decision, if it could help five other people, but it means that like, I'm going to suffer a little bit, I should still do that. If you take what he said at face value in this equation, the possibility, he should discount the possibility of him going to jail. Like that shouldn't really be like a big factor in his mind. So you can't get inside in terms his of head, his suffering. Yeah, you, you can't get inside his head, but you spend a lot of time talking to him. Do you think he today he's in jail right now? Do you think that he thinks he has done something wrong? Or do you think he still thinks he's innocent? That's a that is a very tough question. I think that he knows the rules very well. And like, if he broke them, I think that he knows that he did. I do think that what made him so dangerous, really, was his intense belief in the righteousness of his mission and what he was doing. And so it could be that he's there right now thinking this situation looks terrible for me. This is very, very bad. But it was the right gamble to make because what I was going to do was going to be so good for the world. I had to give it a shot. Like I mentioned, he spent a lot of time with you. Uh, and, I mean, it was extraordinary, right? Because he was already being charged with, with, with major federal fraud charges. And then he, you visited him in, in the Bahamas. And you spent this weird, I think, 12 hours with him and his, his people. And it's this weird scene. But he talked to a lot of people. He talked to a lot of people before he was charged with fraud. And after he was charged with fraud, he still kept talking to the press. He did that big Andrew Ross Sorkin interview, uh, the New York Times event. You catalog all the people who were visiting him when he was on house arrest at his parents' house. Talked and talked and talked and talked to the press against, you know, any any legal advice would say, don't do that. Do you think he was trying to somehow save himself by telling his story? Or do you think there's some other psychology at work that just made him want to talk so much? I think that he recognized something correctly about the press early on, 
which is that the best way to win us over is to, to pick up the phone and talk to us. And by being very accessible, like he would take anyone's calls. Like he would give interviews to these crypt, random crypto publications. They could call him day of and get a quote, you know, get an interview from him about the news of the day. Mm -hmm. And when it was, it was not hard for me the first time I went down there to arrange to go shadow him at his office and hang out at FTX. So this helped him build up this great image as like crypto's golden boy. And so I don't think it was crazy for him to think I was really successful with the press on the way up. Now I'm in this big hole doing the same thing may work again. And I don't think his whole persona is totally fake. I think he recognized that he came across in a kind of odd but appealing way. It helped him build this really good reputation. And yeah, he thought, why don't I try and talk myself out of it? I mean, I mean, you, you convincingly explain that he is an odd, nerdy, weird guy, just as sort of you would imagine. But you also have a great anecdote there about someone's, he's got this big shock of hair. Uh, and you've got a great anecdote where someone suggests, you know, maybe you should actually cut your hair so you'd look more presentable. He says, no, 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 it's it's better if I look a little wild and crazy. It's better for the image that I look. It makes me look more authentic. Yeah. Like, I think he realized that it made him seem honest that he wasn't putting on the sort of like fake persona. And that with, with someone like me, who was he could tell was kind of crypto skeptical, he'd be a little crypto skeptical, too. Like he wouldn't be telling me, oh, Bitcoin's going to go to a million. This is like the best, you know, this is the future of finance. He acted more like, yeah, I know a lot of the coins are sketchy, but like my casino's honest and I'm people can come here to trade and the industry will develop uh, over time. Another funny story about him. I really, I do not think he paid any attention to like who he was talking to or that he was very strategic about it. But when I first met him, he did something that like, had he hired like a private investigator to investigate me, like this would have been the thing to win me over. Like he, it was perfect preparation, which was, I'm in the Bahamas, I'm in their like break room. I'm talking with his assistant and he just sort of shuffles in, in white crew socks, you know, his usual uniform of shorts and a t-shirt. He reaches up in the closet. He pulls out this like Trader Joe's microwavable chickpea korma, rips it open and without microwaving it, just starts like spooning it into his mouth. I got to confess, then, you talk about that korma. I don't know what korma is. Explain what korma is. You know, like, is. Uh, like a curry chickpeas. Okay. Mm, yeah. 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 Like something you would really normally want to microwave. Yeah. But like as a fellow kind of slobby person, I was like, yeah, this guy this seems the legit. Real deal. Yeah. And, and it, his assistant was just like, hey, this is the reporter who's flown in to interview you for like the next couple of days. And he's like. Oh, hey, what's up, man? All right. See you, you know, when it's time. And he let me sit next to him and like, see all his emails, like his slacks, like, truly amazing that I was sitting next to like a guy who's going to go down in like con man history, and with this kind of access and still was unable to expose his his what was going on. Like you said, he gave you a ton of access. Michael Lewis famously has been hanging out with him for a year. A lot of reporters got access to him collectively, is there something that you all could have seen early on and said, oh, this is not what it's supposed to be. This is probably illegal. And, and if not illegal, definitely wrong. Why did it take so long for that for that to show up? So I think like the specific of the crimes that he was charged with were only known to like a very small group and would have been hard to expose. I think that this sort of shows the like 
unreality that was generated by this crypto boom. Because here's a guy who's running, like, it's not a secret. He's in the Bahamas because he's running an offshore casino that would be illegal in the United States. Like, that's why he's moved to other countries. And he's still being invited to, like, testify before Congress. Like, people are... He's got uh, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair on stage with him. Yeah, and, like, those guys got paid, but regulators were, like, posing for selfies with him for free. You know, he's treated like this kind of hero when, at best, he's running, like, a online gambling site. And there was so much of this in crypto where people were just kind of overlooking, like, the reality of what was going on and got really caught up in just the amount of wealth that was being generated. So, personally, yes, like, next time... I sit with like one of the richest people in the world and they let me like look at everything on their computer. I'm going to try like much harder to discover evidence of their crimes, but people should have looked more skeptically about everything in crypto. I mean, it seems like part of it for him in particular was the story wasn't just that he was the richest guy in the world, one of the richest people in the world, and he was this schlubby dude. It was this other part of the story, the the, the charity, the effective altruism. Uh, you talk about the fact that you had profiled him, and it was mostly about his plans to give the money away, not asking where the money came from. Um, and I think that probably, both for you, but I mean, just in general, for a lot of people, was, was a big part of the story that was really entrancing. Um, yeah, it definitely like gave you something else to talk about. Like mm -hmm. if he was so accessible and he had this like really great story that you knew people would like to read about like this kid who decided to get rich so he could give it away. This is a hard question to, for you to answer because you just wrote a book about it. But there's a lot of people writing projects about him. There's this Michael Lewis book we've talked about. Apple reportedly just paid five million dollars for the rights to make that into a TV uh, show or a movie. Um, there's a lot of projects. Do you think that his story is going to be something that resonates, that's compelling to lots of people. I think prior to that Super Bowl ad, most people hadn't heard of FTX. Most people have no idea what crypto is other than maybe something they bet on and won or lost. Do you think there's something about his story that's going to be resonant for a lot of people? Yes, I did see all these projects in the works. And I have to say that it was, of course, tempting for me when I'm working on this book. I didn't propose it as a book about Sam Bankman-Fried, but when I started getting to know him, I was, I sure saw like, this would be a book that would, that would be popular. But I, I am kind of sick of these movies or books that are just chronicling the life of like, one tech entrepreneur who like flew two crows to the sun or something like that. Mm -hmm. And what I really like are like, uh, first of all, I really like books, I don't watch TV or movies. And so I'm like committed that this book is going to be the good thing. Like, Are you telling you to, like, me that you have not sold the, the rights to this book? No, right? I mean, they're available. Go ahead and pay me money. All right, like, all right, Hollywood people. I know you listen to this yeah. podcast. It's available. But no, what I'm saying is that I wanted to... I felt like I was on this insane adventure and that this exploration of the mystery of crypto and how was actually a lot more fun than trying to put myself in Sam Bankman's Freed's shoes and like tell the story of his life. So I decided that I think like this is the story I wanted to read, the story of like what crypto was doing all around the world and my investigation into it. And I think readers will like it better, too. I think they'll enjoy it. Uh, at the end of the book, you say, you know, look, it doesn't look like crypto is coming back. It seems like that moment has now passed with the exception of Bitcoin. 
Um, and I checked it out last night. I think it's close to like $30,000 for a Bitcoin, which is probably, I think, maybe half, a little less than half of where it was at its peak. But it's still a lot of money for for something that at best is called digital gold, but probably isn't. Why is Bitcoin itself so resilient um, when there's, and in particular, when we're all sort of exhausted with crypto and there's not a lot of interest in, in crypto, but Bitcoin itself seems to be, to retain some hold. I hope they didn't come off as like too positive. I did not intend it to because no, what I was no, trying to just say, saying, you're just saying that, okay. that, 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 that people think that Bitcoin is worth something and you're right. It's worth $30,000 for this imaginary coin. Right. I think it's crazy. And the reason is that this kind of cult has sprung up around Bitcoin and these people consider themselves separate from the crypto world. They have different conferences where they say things like they believe that like fiat money is the root of all evil. They think that central it's kind of gets into this conspiratorial thinking about central bankers controlling the world. They think we should return to the gold standard, but now with Bitcoin and there's enough people who have bought into this kind of cultish mentality that there's this base supporting Bitcoin that I think is like they very can sort strong. of self perpetuate. There's enough yeah, people like, in the cult. You're never going to convince any of these guys of anything. So that's why I think that, and it, it is mostly guys. Um, so I, that's why I think Bitcoin has more staying power than some of the other coins, even though in practical purposes, it is more difficult to use, to use in the other cryptocurrencies and probably like inferior technology to some of the replacement coins that have sprung up. You know, crypto, Bitcoin basically came out the birth of crypto, probably not coincidentally, is 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 around the same time as the financial crisis, 2008, 2009, 2010. And if you pull back, it just seems like we've just had a series of bubbles, right? Dot com and then the banking crisis. And then we went into crypto as someone who's, you know, looks into the stuff as a career. Do you just assume we're going to have some other bubble that is is probably inflating now? We won't even see it yet, but it'll become more evident X number of years from now. Definitely. I mean, I think all the, a lot of the crypto guys are pivoting to AI. And so as like the investigative reporter, maybe I should be pivoting to AI too. Get on it, man. Uh, Zeke Fox, your book is called Number Go Up. It's a great read. If you're listening to this podcast, you will enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing the show to you for free. That's zero dollars. Still the same. Thanks to Travis and Jelani for editing the show, producing the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.